morning, Cornerstone. And I want to also extend a welcome along with Pastor Danny and Stephanie to those who are watching on YouTube, those who are in the theater next door. Um, there are a bunch of people watching from Atlanta, so shout out to all of you. It's my um, privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker. The New England Seafarers Mission has been around for something like 140 years. And they're here in Boston, they're also in Rhode Island, and their ministry is to people who work on ships across the globe. You're probably wearing something right now that got to you by coming over on a ship in some way. The workers on those ships are often unseen and neglected, so for over 100 years, our denomination has had a ministry to serve seafarers, and, and Steve is the executive director, has been for 23 years, of the New England Seafarers Mission. Now, let me read you from their website what their mission is. The New England Seafarers Mission is to bring the comforting presence of God on board the ships we visit, offering spiritual and physical assistance where we can. Our ordained chaplains and trained lay ship visitors reach out in the ways of advocacy, companionship, support, and prayer. During our busy cruise ship ministry, we are assisted by caring volunteers who offer their time and talent to create an oasis of help and a house of prayer for crew members. And so we snag Steve about once a year and get him to come and talk, and you'll figure out why in just a little bit. But give Steve a warm cornerstone welcome. Thank you. And good morning, Cornerstone. And to all those locations, um, that are watching this right now or will watch it later on in the week. This is really a, a day of firsts for me. I've preached in churches, chapels, museums, parks, funeral parlors, ships, boats, national parks. This is my first time preaching in a cinema, so this is a first for me. Um, how exciting. There's always just something new going on here, and I don't know about what happened. So. Obviously, some of you may have discovered there's all sorts of one-way and blocked-off streets this morning. So thankfully, I plugged in Google. I knew where this theater was, but I said, I just think I'm going to plug in Google Maps just in case. I'm so glad I did uh, because of that maze that they've created by blocking off streets. But this is what's happened to me that's new and weird. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. As the voice was telling me to turn left, right, left, right, do a U-turn, there were all of a sudden two voices, not in my head, two voices on that phone a female voice, and a male voice. Has that anybody happened to anybody where there's two different voices on Google? Eh, see, I got a possessed Android phone. <laughs> and um, this is not to criticize anyone, but the male voice was very soothing. Turn left here. And the female voice was more computerish. Make a U-turn, here, now. We finally got me here, but it was like a double-minded direction system. So I think it was just an attack of the enemy to really just sort of cause me to not know where I was going. Uh, but I left with plenty of time to get here and to be with you all. And it is a pleasure to be here with you again. Uh, this is actually the second time this year, um, which is a, a good thing for me. Um, it has been about once a year that I've come and worshipped with you, and it's been always exciting to do that and to share with you. As Bill mentioned um, in introducing me, I'm, I'm the senior chaplain and executive director at New England Seafarers Mission. I help people who work on ships. And we do industrial ship visits. So those are all the ships that bring everything that Bill mentioned. 90% of everything that you and I use, wear, eat, burn, drive, at one point 
was on a ship. So those crew members who bring those things to our country, to our ports, to our city, and into our lives, uh, have done so by separating themselves from family and friends for extended period of times, working on the high seas in a very dangerous job, a very tedious job. We also minister to men and women on cruise ships. Now, there haven't been a lot of cruise ships, obviously, for the past couple of years, because that's, in fact, where the pandemic, one of the places it first showed up and caused such great alarm, was on cruise ships. But this past fall, we actually had two cruise ships come into port. Now, they were not at full capacity. In fact, they were really only about, the first one was about 20% capacity, maybe. It could hold 1,000 passengers, and I think they had, at most, uh, they had 200. The entire crew was detained for ship policy reasons. They didn't want anybody coming off the ship and walking around the port of Boston and contracting COVID-19 and then going back on the ship and then causing the spread. So the crew members were detained on board the ship. So we were able to help them and bless them in different ways. One of the things we do is a package service. They can go online and buy things and it comes to our center and you bring it to them. Sounds all very mundane, but it is help in creating conversation with them. It gets me connected with them by social media so I can carry on further conversations when the ship is not in port. The second ship that came in was much smaller. It only held, I think, 200 passengers. So it fell underneath the CDC radar for, for those um, for those guidelines for COVID-19. So the crew was able to get off. The first time they were here, they had a bit of a hiccup, and so the crew could not get off. The second time in, which was about two weekends ago, they were here for four days, and the crew was allowed off. So my wife and I were at the mission. She and I run the mission now pretty much all by ourselves while we're in this pandemic until we can have volunteers come in and, and help us. We were excited. We had our store ready. We kept it ready for two years, more or less. Uh, I was excited that we were going to see seafarers. They were going to be able to come in and talk with us and share with us. This is pretty much what I do. It's sort of my identity, if you will. I'm, I'm the director of the seafarers mission, and one of our big things is cruise ship ministry to the employees who work on those ships. By the way, if you work on a cruise ship, it's not a party. In fact, it's anything but. It is extremely difficult, and there are all sorts of advocacy issues that need to go on. They're worked usually 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week for the length of their entire contract. So we were ready for uh, those, those ships come to, to, that ship to come in and the crew members to come in. I was there on the stairwell just sort of waiting, and all of a sudden I heard a voice and I turned, and there were two guys from the ship. Now, these were the first two guys who'd been in our seafarer center in South Boston. That's where our center is at the cruise ship terminal. These were the first two seafarers in two years. So first of all, it made me jump. I'm like, who are you? And they said uh, they needed to uh, flag down a taxi. Could I help them flag down a taxi? All right, that was a little bit deflating because I'm thinking they're coming here to have a conversation with me. And now, oh, Steve, we're so glad you're here. And we couldn't live without you guys here. Do you help? Can you help us flag down a taxi? I'm like, all right where you want to go. Well, our boss, our supervisor on the ship, uh, he, he needs us to go to Restaurant Depot in Everett. Anybody ever heard of Restaurant Depot in Everett? Yeah, right, see, not a lot of people have. It's not close to South Boston. I said, well, why are we going there? He said, well, we need to buy some, some foodstuffs for the ship because the supply truck that was supposed to come that day, Saturday, was not coming until Monday, and they were running low on some food products. And I said, all right, well, uh, what do we need to get? He said, 35 dozen chicken eggs. All right, chicken eggs, really, okay. And caviar, caviar, all right, fine. And microgreens, 
micro, what? What's a microgreen, right? All I know is it's just little tiny pieces of lettuce that you sprinkle on your food. And for those of you who are in the culinary business, forgive me, but it's the first time I've ever heard of microgreens. I said, all right, um, but you want you to, so Restaurant Depot, you need a membership, you can't go there. How much money did he give you? $200. $200 to get a taxi from South Boston to Everett and back to buy 35 dozen eggs, caviar, and microgreens. I said, uh, taxi alone is going to run you 30 to 60 bucks. I said, why don't I just drive you? Now, it's not my idea of a great time to be a chauffeur and go looking for chicken eggs and fish eggs somewhere in Boston. But I could sense, and having done this long enough, I knew that this guy and his, his companion were being sent out by their supervisor. And the ship was low on supplies. So if they didn't come back with something, people weren't going to eat. Now, I didn't, could care less about the caviar and the microgreens. But the eggs were sort of an important staple for breakfast, right? It's really hard to have fried eggs and toast if you don't have an egg. I said, let's hop in the car. Let's go looking for these products. Um, and instead of going to Restaurant Depot, we're going to go to BJ's because I've got the membership there. And we will start with the chicken eggs and we'll take it from there. Where's the ministry in that? Now, I know what you're thinking and we, can, we, we twist that. Well, that's, that's being helpful. That's being kind. And it is. And we will get to that. But at what point would Christ be revealed in this story? Paul, confronting his critics... Um, in the book of Corinth, in, the, in his letter to the Corinthians, to the church at Corinth, their complaint to him was that he was not accomplished enough. That his ministry was not successful enough. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the first half. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph, in Christ. He has best just been describing how he, has, he, he, he is the humble servant of God. He's, he's been through uh, the, 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 the things that he had, the difficulties that he had, the fact that he's not a very uh, dynamic speaker and so forth. And he says these words, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, I will admit that when I read that verse and when I've read that verse, it sounds great. It sounds like Christ is leading us as those victorious soldiers returning to celebrate that we have won with Jesus at his side. Jesus is the general, and we are the colonels, the captains, the sergeants, the privates, whatever. We're the victors in the army with Jesus, and we've helped Jesus accomplish the victory. Actually, what's happening is that he's, Paul is not talking about us when he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us. That us is he's referring to himself the apostle. And the word that he uses is going to change the rest of the verses that I'm going to read in a rather dramatic way, where it says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. That word in triumph is a word that is not used often in scripture. It is used in the, it was used at that time in the, in the Greek language. What it demonstrates, what it talks about is the parade that the conquering general has to honor the conquering general and only the conquering general. And in that parade are the prisoners that he has captured in his military expedition. You got that picture in your head? So we have Jesus 
at the head of this. He is the victor. He is the one who has won you and I the victory on the cross. The us that Paul is talking about is him, is he is a prisoner of Christ. He is a slave of Christ in that triumph. What Paul is saying is that wherever we go, we go because we are following Christ as his conquered slave. Psalm 68 verse 18 says this, You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among the people, even among the rebellious as well, that the Lord God may dwell there. We are the captives of Christ. Now, that's not a very appealing idea. But in fact, it is part of that strange paradox of Christianity. We are called to be captives of Christ in our ministry in whatever we do. We are not the ones who've won the victory for Christ. He is the only one who has won that victory for us. And he is leading us in a parade through the city. We are serving him. He goes on in 2 Corinthians, the second half of 14 through the first half of 16. And through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, and to the other an aroma from life to life. In these processions, the slaves would sometimes be given uh, incense to carry so that everyone could both see and smell what is happening in this parade. And wherever we go, Christ is using that to spread the knowledge of him because even if you can't see the parade, you can smell it. That's what would happen in, in these triumphal parades. You'd hear the noise, but you'd also smell that incense that's going on. What that means is that whatever means you have to interact with people, that's your way to serve Christ as his prisoner, as his servant, as his slave. So you might be in Corinth or Cambridge or Boston with people alone wherever you are. God put you there to spread the knowledge of him through your life and through your service as his prisoner. It's a curious thing that it uses the word aroma, and there's a story behind that. Fifteen years ago, I had some serious problems, sinus problems, and I required a couple of surgeries to clear it up. But for the duration of that sinus problem, I couldn't smell anything. I had a, uh, an empathy for those who may have sadly contracted the coronavirus when that's one of the symptoms is you can't smell or taste. I could empathize with that because for, I would say, a good two or three years, I could not smell anything. Now, the first thing people usually said to me when I said that is, oh, so you must have lost your appetite and lost weight. Would that be the case? But no. Nothing could I smell. Sometimes it was good if a skunk walked by, I was fine, and everybody else was, you know, holding their nose and kind of, you know, wincing at the smell. But for the most part, I could not smell anything cooking in the kitchen. I could not smell fresh coffee in the morning. I could not smell peanut butter. I could not, I couldn't smell it. And I would have these surgeries, and the final surgery, the day I left the hospital, I took a deep breath in, and I smelled springtime. What does springtime smell like? Go without the sense of smell for two years, and then step outside on a May morning. You'll know what it smells like. It's the smell of life, of flowers, of grass. And it brought joy to my heart. I was ecstatic. Exodus chapter 29, verse 25 says this. 
Then you shall take, take them from their hands and offer them up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, for a soothing aroma before the Lord. It is an offering by fire to the Lord. It's curious that on almost every occurrence of the word fragrance in the Old Testament, when it talks about those sacrifices being offered on the altar and being burnt, it is preceded by the word soothing. That word in Hebrew can mean comforting, tranquilizing, soothing. It is the two words are always together. In other words, when God sees his people offering these sacrifices up for the forgiveness of their sins, for the penitence, for worshiping him, he is blessed by it. He is soothed by it. But it's not just him who receives that soothing aroma. The people around as a community, as a church, as a gathering of Israelites in the desert, they were blessed by it because they, were new. they, they knew they were doing the worship that God wanted them to do. What is our sacrifice in Christ that we bring? It's not animals any longer. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, sisters and brothers, by the mercy of God to present your bodies. Here's where it starts to get a little bit hard and uncomfortable. To present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Our lives are meant to be a sacrifice. Our lives are meant to be offered up to God where we have no agenda, where we have no priority that we get to say, I will offer myself up to you, God, but I want to hang on to this. Remember that triumphal procession. The victorious general would have in his train captives who carried incense with them. They would eventually be, this is where it gets a little horrific, they would be sacrificed at the end of the procession. Remember, this was Rome. This was Greece. These were conquering armies. It is the aroma of sacrifice that is sensed. And depending on who is watching, it is either that sweet, pleasing aroma to those who are on the victorious side, or for us, to those who are being saved, or it is the stench of death among those who are perishing, the slaves, the prisoners of that army, or this world that does not know and does not understand who Christ is and persecutes the church and persecutes us. The incense does not change. It's the same incense. The listeners and watchers do. For us, we need to understand that some people will love us for our Christ-like aroma, while others will hate us. The spiritual aroma we radiate must not change with our audience. So where, from where does, comes our incense, our service, our resource? You know, you might be thinking, well, what am I bringing to God? How do, that sounds great, but what is it that I bring? How is it that I bring to God? Finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 16 and 17, to end up that chapter. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like the many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. It is God who is adequate through his son Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. It's not our accomplishments. It's not our education. Many of you here are going to school Marvelous, excellent, something to be proud of. But that's not what God depends on. Many of you here come from different places in life. Either you think they're going to advance you or you think they detract. God doesn't need it. 
with sincere hearts, we follow him. You see, we see Jesus because we love him, because he has captured our souls and hearts. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, the sun, S-U-N, but because by it, I see everything else. I believe in Jesus because I see him in my heart and I see him in my life. But not just because of that, but because I see him in you. I see Christ in you. You and I are made in the very image of God. And not just in this room or that room or Atlanta or wherever you're watching from, but out on the street, out on the broken streets, out in the, in the highways and the byways, at the corner of Mass and Cass, anywhere where there is brokenness, those people are made in the very image of God. And it is for them and for us that he has died and won that victory. The battle's not won by the awards that we have won. The battle is not won by the money that we have. The battle is not won by the education that we have. The battle is not won by our standing in life. The battle is not lost because we think we are lower place of life. The battle is not lost because of the failures that we've had. The battle is not lost because of the addictions that we have. The battle is won by Jesus Christ and only by Jesus Christ. It is through this being led by our victor offered up as living sacrifices through our service to him, that we see him and everything else. At the end of our search for the chicken eggs and the fish eggs, we return to the seafarer's center, successful in finally finding what we needed. BJ's was the easy one. You ever been shopping at BJ's, you know they actually sell them in five dozen packs. So that was an easy one. We filled up the crate and we put in the chicken eggs. I didn't know where we were going to find the caviar and the microgreens, but we were in the Revere, in uh, the BJ's in Revere, and right next door is, is a market basket, huge market basket. I said, you know what? Let's give it a shot, guys. Let's go next door and see if we can find some caviar at Market Basket, one of the lowest-priced grocery stores around. So me and the two guys go, and we're marching through, and you know they're, they're sort of looking around and trying to figure it. I knew exactly where to go. I went to the back to the deli counter where there's a sushi counter, and I asked the guy, do you sell fish eggs that you put inside your sushi? He said, yes, up in aisle 12. Do you know that Market Basket sells caviar? How about that? And we bought eight tins of caviar for $7.95 each. I can't comment on the quality of the caviar, and I didn't hear anybody got sick, but I don't care. We had caviar. And in the produce department, we found the microgreens. So we get back to, we finally get back to the, the Seafarer Center, and these guys have everything that they need, and I help them wheel it over to the ship. Um, and, and he comes back to the center, and he says, uh, Father, they all call me Father. I long ago gave up trying to change their mind about, because I guess I just am so much older than them. And you, most of you. <laughs> said, Father, uh, What's the password for your internet here at the Seafarer's Mission? I said, oh, it's easy. It's give thanks, all lowercase, no spaces. As he starts to type it in, he starts singing that song. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks unto the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ 
his son. My complaint that I was not being used correctly as a chaplain because I was going shopping for chicken eggs and fish eggs fell on deaf ears in God's ears. He didn't care about what I thought about myself and what I should be used for. What he cared about were these two guys who were working their rear ends off for a living for their supervisor on a cruise ship, and their job was to go find chicken eggs, fish eggs, and microgreens, and if they came back empty-handed, they would face the consequences. And God wanted to bless those two seafarers by fulfilling their needs in their job, in their vocation. And God said to their hearts, I got a chaplain at the seafarers' mission. Go see him. Because that's exactly what they said when they walked in the door. They couldn't find a taxi, and they said, here's the seafarer's mission. They can always help us. I was a captive to Christ, sent to help this man accomplish his task that it might go well with him. My pride, my portfolio were of no concern to the victorious one. My weakness through that humble service was how he would demonstrate his love and grace to this man. He only wanted the fragrant aroma of sacrifice to bring soothing to these guys. During Paul's conversion, he had a vision, of which he was not really allowed to share the details of that vision. Earlier in the, in, in the, in the book, he says, I know a man who went up to the third heaven. It's, he's talking about himself, basically. And it was there that he had so many visions and so much illumination into what the kingdom of God was about. But he mentioned that he was also given a thorn in his side. It hindered his physical self for the rest of his life, even though he constantly asked for it to be removed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, we hear the voice of Christ through the words of Paul. But Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Those were the words of Christ of God to me and to Paul. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Some have said that the thorn in the side were psychological issues of Paul, that he suffered from depression. Some have said they're his constant battle with opponents, with those who were persecuting him, both in the church and outside the church. Some have said it's some sort of a physical affliction. He, he was, has, has been described as being short and bald. Some have said it's actual demonic harassment because he does mention that Satan continuously harassed him. I think that we really don't know which one it is is a measure of grace to us because we can all then receive comfort that whatever weakness or thorn in, you, in your side that you have in your life, maybe it is a psychological challenge. Maybe it is a challenge that you wrestle with with depression Maybe it is a physical challenge. 
some sort of, uh, of challenge that you face in your life. Maybe it is uh, persecution in the workplace or in this culture or in society. Perhaps it is any one of those things. Perhaps it is a satanic attack. I don't know. Whatever it is, Jesus' words that he says to Paul, he says to you and he says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Charles Persian says this. Now we leave you with this quote. Let us lean on God with all our weight. Let us throw ourselves on his faithfulness as we do on our beds at night, bringing all our weariness to his dear rest. I just love the picture that he paints there. You know, when you get to my age, bedtime just sounds better and better every night. Oh boy, another good day, but I'm tired. And I lay down and put my head on the pillow. And I give thanks for what has happened. Maybe I worry about what has happened. But I try to remember the words that Christ spoke to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. Rest upon me. Gain strength from me. So that tomorrow, as a prisoner of Christ, you may rise up, strengthened and empowered. That tomorrow, as one following in the train of the victorious one, you can march into this world and bring that message of hope. You, Cornerstone Church, will be that sweet aroma of Christ from life to life. And you can share that with a world that the wheels are coming off. But we do not need to fear or worry or be anxious because we rest upon Christ and upon his words. Christ has spoken to Paul. He has spoken to you. My grace is sufficient for you. When that man started singing that song, Give thanks. I joined in with him. It was just me and him. And we had the sweetest, shortest little worship service I can remember in a long, long time. Because I smelled the sweet aroma of Christ surrounding the two of us. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks unto the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.